podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm fine, and I have decidedly no Geordie accent today whatsoever. No, no. Eddie Howe, Alan St. Maximum, all of you can just get firmly in a bin. Uh, Newcastle being crap is what we were all reminded of yesterday as they turned in a, an absolute shocker of a performance, to be honest. I've seen Toon fans trying to, trying to find the positives in it. Uh, there are none. There are none. You were just awful, and you reminded everybody about the, that the team that was bottom of the table and didn't win in their first fourteen games is is the real Newcastle, not the team that was beating teams that had nothing to play for. Liverpool dropped points at the weekend, Carl, in a game against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I haven't spoken to you since. What were your thoughts on that Spurs draw? Frustrating as draws always are, to be fair, and uh, probably a little bit more so because of the context of this one. Performance-wise, like I've said straight after the game, obviously there were parts of it which left a bit to be desired, but you're just not going to get perfection all the way through a half season, and we've been really, really close to that since the 2nd of January. So I don't think that there's any complaints really to be had. Certainly a few aspects of our performance which can be improved and have to be, but... When you're playing against one of the top four or five sides in the country, you, you have to be on a game or you don't win. That's the case all the time. So on this occasion, not quite clinical enough and one or two errors at the other end and you get punished for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought we resorted to far too many crosses and far too many bad decisions in the game. And it strikes me that if Tottenham do finish fourth, which is still very possible for them, if Arsenal drop points somewhere along the way and they beat Arsenal on Thursday night, we will have failed to beat any of the other top four teams then in the Premier League. Two draws with City, two draws with Chelsea, and obviously two draws with Tottenham. We did beat City in a cup semi-final. We've beaten Chelsea in a cup final, although I suppose technically it was a draw. And we have Chelsea in another cup final. You know, it's just, it's a bit of an odd occurrence that that could end up being the case. At worst, it'll be three of the top five that we failed to beat in the league this year. But there's still a chance, and that's all we can hope for. Look, the the situation doesn't change. We needed them to drop points before that game. We still need them to drop points. It's just that now we need them to lose a game rather than draw a game. They've got a difficult game coming up against Wolves in midweek. They have a very difficult game coming up against West Ham at the weekend. And then they have Villa on the final day of the season, which should be straightforward for them, but you just never know. If the pressure's on, 
if we have won our games in between Villa and Southampton, then potentially we go into that final day where, you know, we could be level on points with them if they've lost to, say, West Ham. We might have gotten the goal difference back in our advantage if we can give one of these next two teams a bit of a a walloping. And that would put all the pressure on them to play Villa in the final day and have to go and go for it and leave themselves open, potentially. They have announced that Walker, Diaz and Stones are out for the season. I wouldn't believe a word that comes out of Pep's mouth. But if that is the case, that's obviously going to hurt them defensively. So it is still there. It is still possible. We finished Saturday night top of the league. So, of course, it is possible. But it's just a little more difficult. Now, City's answer to failure is always just spend more money. And David Ornstein has reported today that Erling Haaland to Manchester City is a done deal and the confirmation is expected this week. So let's just take a minute on Haaland, Carl. What are you expecting from him in the Premier League? Do you think it's a a great fit at City? And what does that potentially mean for let's say, a Jack Grealish, because if Haaland's through the middle, surely Phil Foden is playing off the left, and that means that Grealish, who hasn't been a regular starter this season, is possibly even less likely to start next year. Yeah, I think he's got work to do to be a, a guaranteed you know, go-to, especially in the bigger games we've seen several times towards the end of this season where he has been the one left out. Um, I'm not sure Haaland's a perfect fit, but I think the probably one of the big things about this city side is that they are so adaptable in attack and you know we've seen them have a, a proper number nine we've seen them play strikers out wide we've seen them have a run deep as their main attack and threat so i don't doubt that he'll be worked into a way where he can have a really really big impact on the side obviously their build-up play probably benefits from having someone just occupy at least one defender if not two at times just because of the the aerial prowess that he has and the penalty box awareness that he has, all that kind of thing is just going to attract an extra defender or at least the attention of one defender all the time. And that just leaves space for somebody else. And we know that they're one of the best teams around in terms of their uh, rotation of positions and the movement that they have in in the final third. So I don't see anything other than positives for them in signing him in terms of on the pitch stuff. Uh, I could also see the argument for Foden to be more regularly used as an eight at times next year. I think longer term, that's probably where he plays and especially not under Guardiola, uh, given in any kind of future for England or Man City. So certainly some interesting tactical arrangements that might result because of that. And also, obviously, we don't know yet if there'll be someone like Mares or someone like that leaves. Mm. I would look at it now and think midfield three of De Bruyne, Rodri and Bernardo. Front three of Sterling, Haaland, Foden. In possession, that can flex from the 4-3-3 to the 4-4-2 they used to play when Sané was the left winger and Sterling tucking in next to Haaland almost as a second striker. And then maybe that's the position, that Sterling position that they develop uh, Julian Alvarez into. So that, that could work and could be terrifying. But... There's no guarantee of success with these big transfers. So, Haaland will be the 20, sorry, the 32nd player to move for 75 million euro. I'm just going to quickly run through these. Tell me if I'm wrong about any of these. Neymar went to PSG 
they bought him to win the Champions League. They haven't done that. He plays less than half the games each season. Not a flop, but I don't think it's been a runaway success. Mbappe brought for 180 million euro, same situation, brought to win the Champions League. Now, I think he's been more of a success than Neymar, but he could well leave for free this summer. Coutinho to Barcelona, I think everybody views that as a failure. João Felix to Benfica, of, to Atletico Madrid, I don't think can be marked down as a success because he's, he's not a nailed-on starter. Wouldn't put it as a failure because he's very young, but kind of a very passive move there. Griezmann to, to Barca, failure. Grealish to City, certainly not looking like a success yet. Lukaku to Chelsea, not looking like a success. Usman Dembele's just had the first good, consistent run of his time at Barcelona. But again, he could leave for free this summer. I'm not sure you can have it as a success. Pogba to United, failure. Hazard to Real, failure. Cristiano to Juventus, I would say failure because they bought him to win the Champions League and lost a fortune on him. Bale to Real Madrid, obviously had great success. Didn't have consistency, but won four Champions Leagues. So for that point, it goes down as a success. Cristiano to Real is obviously one of the great successes. Higuain to Juventus, failure. Maguire to United, failure. Lukaku to United, I would say failure. They lost money on him two years later. Sancho to United, too early to say anything yet, but certainly not trending in the way of success. Van Dijk to Liverpool, runaway success. Havertz to Barcelona, or sorry, to, to Chelsea, still up in the air. It, some good moments, some bad moments. Did win them a Champions League, so maybe that puts it in the success category. Suarez to Barca, runaway success. Lukaku to Inter, runaway success. Pepe to Arsenal, failure. Kepa to Chelsea, failure. Lucas Hernandez to, to Bayern hasn't been a success as yet. Zidane to Real Madrid, runaway success. De Maria to United, failure. De Ligt to Juventus certainly hasn't been a success, success yet, but it's too young to write it off as a failure. De Jong to Barca, I think, is passive at best. James Rodriguez to Real Madrid, failure. De Bruyne to Man City, runaway success. And then Haaland comes in. There has been far more failures than successes in that that list of players who've moved for 75 million or more. Would you disagree with any of them in terms of how I've how I've placed them? I think so. Um, I think it's really clear the ones which are big successes and really clear the ones which are big failures. Like you said, there's quite a lot ongoing still at the minute. Like We can assume Sancho probably has a better chance of being a success than failure over time, but that involves a lot more than just his performance level. That club needs to you know, have a, a bit of a top-to-bottom clean, doesn't it, before he can probably have the platform to, to succeed as he'd want to. Havertz, I'd probably say, is a success already just because of the big moments that he's had. Um, but I think overall, it's more a question of recruitment and suitability rather than if you spend big money, this is where your success is going to come from. I think that that's what that shows us. Even Neymar, I think the only way he could have been a success is by winning the Champions League and the Ballon d'Or as well, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, that's why he went there. He went to, well, he went there for the money, but he also went there to get out of the shadow of Lionel Messi and position himself as a potential Ballon d'Or winner. And he has done neither of those things. He hasn't won the Champions League, hasn't won the Ballon d'Or, and now he lives firmly in the shadow 
of Kylian Mbappe. Um, it does just go to show that it, it is, it's, it's about proper recruitment, proper talent identification, more so than just, you know, spending all the money. And I saw, I think he's, I think he's a pro subscriber, Ashley, es- As- Ashley Escobar on, um, Twitter say, the biggest difference between Liverpool and City is that rival fans can look at City and say, well, they're just where they are because they have more money than my club. Whereas when they look at Liverpool, it's they're where they are because they're doing all the right things while my club are doing all the wrong things. And that's where the different perceptions of the two teams come in. Some fans might be more comfortable with City winning things because they can just write it off as, well, they've got all the money in the world. Whereas when Liverpool win things, they have to take more of a, you know, an internal look at their own club and what their own club are doing wrong that Liverpool are doing right. Yeah, fair assessment, to be fair. I think that's probably along the same lines, but the other side of the argument is some of Guardiola's comments, you know, and some of the, even the fans' comments about people don't make a big enough deal about when Man City win, for example. I think that's the same, but in reverse, if you like. It's because it's expected, because of what they spend and because of how they go about it and because of where they were beforehand and how they took the route to where they are now. It does lend itself to more scrutiny when things go wrong. It does lend itself to less praise, perhaps, when things go right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because... They have bought all of their success in the most blatant and show-offy, showy-off way, whatever way, you know, possible. They've just flagrantly spent money and they've broken rules. They've smashed all the FFP, FFP rules. They're very clearly cheating in terms of their own income. There's absolutely no way that any real company would be paying them the type of money per year that Eddie had are paying, paying them. Uh, because, look, this is a club that they, they can't sell out their own stadium week after week after week. There's thousands of empty seats. And that's after they've already given away thousands of free tickets to local schools. Now, I give them a round of applause for giving away those tickets for free to schools and getting you know the younger generation access to games. But you can't tell me that you're a big financially viable monster when you go to Wembley and you're having to put huge banners across where your fans are meant to be sitting because you couldn't sell out your your allotment of tickets. Like, there's a reason people look down their noses at City. It's because it's just a bit distasteful what they've done. Chelsea's the exact same way, and Chelsea have owned it a bit better, or certainly Chelsea fans have owned it a bit better than City fans over the years. But for now... And until City win a Champions League, for in terms of Pep, he's only doing what they were doing before he got there. He's just doing it at a better level. But that's to be expected when you spend a billion quid. It's not an interesting story. That's the bottom line. You know, if, if it had been a rise to the Premier League and then got themselves into Europe and even were in a top four challenging side before they got taken over, I think it'd be a bit different. But they're not. It's It's, it's not a story. It's just got taken over, became rich and spent a lot of money to get there. It's, mm. you know, it's not interesting enough to be an ongoing 
every day, every week kind of storyline and see how they're progressing all the rest of it in the way that some clubs are because of the way that it's happened. That's you know, simple as that. They're not, they weren't a, a huge, huge club to begin with, so they don't have the global appeal for generations of supporters in the way that they say Arsenal do. If Arsenal get back to challenge them for the title and then go and spend a load of money, it'd still be a story because they have yeah. a backstory and they've had a story recent history as well in terms of dropping into mid-table mediocrity and then building themselves back up. That's a story. Cities isn't. That's the thing. And I saw, I can't remember who said this on social media, apologies to whoever it was. I saw someone say the reason the press talks more about United, Liverpool and Arsenal than they do about City is because United, Liverpool and Arsenal sell. United, Liverpool and Arsenal have appeal globally, not just to one fan base, but to rival fan bases as well. Because when United are bad, the fan bases of all other clubs who United lorded it over for years, like to just laugh at them. When we were bad, same thing. When we're good, other teams like to hate on us because we're good. Arsenal had their banter era. We all enjoyed laughing at them. But it was because they'd previously been very, very good. And there's there's a, a, a respect between Liverpool, Arsenal and United, which is based off of decades of, of success and history. And they're the three biggest clubs in, in in England and unfortunately for Chelsea and City all of the the bought success in the world doesn't make you a big club all of the falsified numbers in the world don't make you big clubs Liverpool, Arsenal and United because of how they built their clubs and how the, the periods of time it took to elevate those clubs to the very highest level that's more of a you know that's more of a natural thing that's an organic growth as opposed to, you know, the steroid cheats at City and, and Chelsea where it's just money being pumped in left. I don't mean steroids as in, you know, well, maybe with Pep. But, you know, they've basically just put their teams on or their clubs on steroids and, and pumped them up to the point where, yes, they compete, yes, they win things, but everybody knows what you're doing and no one respects it. Like I had a conversation with a Chelsea fan the other day and, and he's – so excited for the Roman era to be over and his hope is that they'll build a new team from their academy from smart recruitment and he said to me if they win the and this is something I said and he agreed with me if they win their FA Cup could win an FA Cup or a Europa League with a team that had six or seven starters from their academy he said that would mean more to him than any of the league titles and Champions Leagues that they bought their way to under Roman so you know there's probably City fans out there that feel the same way as well. I know a couple of City fans who, who don't particularly like what's happened to their club, who who can't get on board with human rights violators doing what they're doing at the club. And it is just what it is. And, and there's always going to be a, a bad taste off of City and off of what Chelsea were. Uh, let's move on. Liverpool play Aston Villa tomorrow night. That's Tuesday in the Premier League. From Villa Park, Villa are a very strange team who struggled to string results together, but somehow are still hanging around in mid-table. 11th place, 43 points, one point behind Palace, who are in 10th. Um, They've won 13 games this season, which is quite good, but they have lost 17, which is obviously not good at all. 
They come into this game back-to-back wins over Norwich and Burnley. Uh, that came off a run of four defeats and one draw. It's very hard to know what to make of them. What have you made of them under Steven Gerrard? Hit and miss, to be honest. Um, I, I quite like the way that they've set up earlier on in his tenure. You know, the first half a dozen games or something like that, he was sort of flitting between that narrow midfield, a bit of a diamond, um, played wide forwards at times. It was quite interesting to watch them develop. But then I don't know whether this is because of you know where they are as a club at the minute. You know, they're, they're basically gone from being a relegation battling side to a mid-table club this year, which is a step forward, but not enough of one that they wanted to take in in this season or whether it is because they can't now achieve anything more and with this side with the additions that they made in january whether they would be able to go a little bit higher up uh, you know maybe sort of towards the top seven or eight if they had more time but they don't really you know they're what 12 points behind west ham in seventh right now with only four games to go for them so it's easy for that mid-table mentality to set in isn't it on the beach as they say and everyone kind of shuts down a bit and I think that that's probably the biggest challenge Gerard faces is to switch that mentality he did it at Rangers with quite a lot of players to be perfectly honest and that's that's something that would be interesting to watch see if he can do because he changed some of those players mentalities who were not top performers you know they weren't players who had been used to title chases or going towards um aiming for cups or anything like that and he made them see that you have to be on it every game whether you think it means something or not whether it's a point of the season you would normally have a downturn in fortunes or not he was able to make a group of them fight right to the end of the season and go for honours right through to the end of the season or in Europe beyond where they would normally have an expectation of going so I think that for next year that's the real thing that you might see a changeover for the squad is the ones who have shown this year have not got that maybe attitude to push Mm every single game you know this run that they've just had of four defeats in a row five games without a win that's not something that he'll accept it's not something that the club will accept as okay to to have in the squad if they want to get into that top seven top eight because as we've seen even towards the end of this season it is really competitive and if you've got a big six again next year plus another one or two trying to get in you have to you've got to go full pelt all the way so I, I still think it's a very interesting development that they've got there and i've enjoyed watching it more often than not but there is still a good bit of work to be done. Yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done. I do. Um, It's been quite the mixed bag since Gerrard took over. You know, you look at 23 league games thus far, 10 wins, 3 draws, 10 defeats. Um, It's hard to know what you'll get from them on a game-to-game basis. For example, at the weekend, they played Burnley. They were 2-0 up at half-time. But in truth, it should have been 2-2 because Burnley missed two big chances, one from a a Veghorst header and Dwight McNeil, I don't know what he was thinking, but Dwight McNeil missed a massive chance as well. So, you know, little bits of luck have gone against them. Little bits of luck have gone in their way, but they are just an inconsistent team. It's why they're in mid-table. You know, you look at the mid-table of the Premier League, they're all inconsistent. Brighton went three months without a win and I think lost six in a row at one point. Palace, I mean, they've drawn 14 and lost 11. They're an inconsistent team. Villa the same. Brentford the same. Newcastle the same. What I would say for Villa is that you can see that maybe where they're closer to taking that next step than others. And it is, again, a big part of this mentality. Fortune has definitely played a part, like you said. But all the way back to... 
Boxing Day. They've not lost any game by more than one goal up until the Tottenham hammering the other day, mm. which I think might have been a bit of a, a turning point for the squad or Jared maybe had a bit of reaction for them because they've gone three games, only conceded one goal since then. So you can imagine there was a bit of back to basics talk and make sure you do the right things and all that kind of thing. But it's not far off, you know, only losing to Newcastle when they were resurgent by one. Uh, only losing to uh, West Ham, obviously going for European places by one. Arsenal, the same by one. It's it's fine margins. And when you're on the wrong side of it, you do become a mid-table, completely anonymous sort of side. But I don't think they're a million miles away from turning at least half of those around. No, I don't either. And there's clearly a, a lot of talent in the squad. I mean, Emmy Martinez hasn't been as good this season as he was last season. But I would say it's still one of the six or seven best keepers in the league. Uh, I like Maddie Cash at right back. I really like Esri Konza, though he has had a down season, especially compared to where he was last year. I have no time or tolerance for Mings. I think he's awful. The Luca Dina signing was a bit weird to me. His age profile, the, the style of play, it didn't really fit with what I thought Gerard was going to do. Um, but he's had some injuries, so it's hard to know really how it's going to work out. And unfortunately for Gerard, they let Matty Target leave in January on loan. So Ashley Young was the backup left back that he has. And with respect, Ashley Young wasn't good four years ago and still isn't good. He is just, he's finished. And it's time for him to be put out to pasture. Their backup centre-backs are Chambers, who they brought in in January and has done okay. And Courtney Halls, who's fine if he's your fourth or fifth centre-back, but you don't really want him being more than that. So I would say Gerard needs to address that central defensive spot this summer, find a proper partner for Konza, and hope that that brings his defence together. In midfield, he's crying out for a defensive midfielder, a ball-winning, defence-shielding number six. Douglas Louise is a number eight. I think he's a good one who's inconsistent. John McGinn is a number eight. I think he's I think he's one of the most overrated players in the league. Like, there's just a lot of meh about him. He does some things really well, and in some games he's just not a factor. But again, it's just maybe if he could find consistency to his game, we'd see a lot more of him. Sanson has been injured since arriving. Nick Camba's a squad player. Chuck Wemmick is a kid who Gerard doesn't seem to have full trust in yet. Jacob Ramsey's a big-time talent, but again, he's a kid, number eight. So they need that number six, and they need that centre-back. And then they've got a decision to make over Coutinho. They'll hope that Emi Buendia has a better season next year than he's had this season. And they've got a decision to make over whether Danny Ings is going to be a starter or a squad player. If he's a squad player... They need to buy someone in that front three as well to go with Watkins and Buendia. Um, this, that's, it's only really three. It's three areas that they need to address. Centre back holding midfield and one in attack. It's just unfortunate for Gerard. Those are areas that do tend to be a little bit expensive. Yeah, I don't think Villa are too worried about that. To be fair, they got a lot of money and they don't mind spending it when they when they identify that there is someone that they want. True enough. True enough. They have been linked with Calvin Phillips. Uh, they've also been linked with Eves Basuma. Either of those would be big upgrades in midfield. I do think Phillips is a better fit as a number six than Basuma is, but. 
it'll just be about who they can get. Phillips, I think, would be a great signing. If they can get that centre-back right and then figure out what they want to do in attack, this could be a team that challenges for Europe next season. I mean, look, Dean Smith, his mandate this season was challenged for Europe. And when things went bad early on, and it became very clear that we're not going to get into Europe this season playing the way we are, they sacked him after 11 games. The man who rescued them, brought them up, kept them up, established them in the Premier League. They were ruthless and they sacked him. And Gerard will go into next season with a mandate of get us into Europe or at least challenge for it, but don't even consider not being in the, in the mix. The thing to note about these owners is how, how ambitious they are. And if Stevie has a bad season next year, he may not see the season out. Like he's not someone that's in a comfortable position with owners who'll just accept being in the Premier League. They want, they want real progress. Yeah, I think the good thing is, from a Jarrah perspective, obviously, that one, he accepts that, and two, he wants to do that. You know, he's, he's already spoken quite a few times about wanting real challenges and not wanting to sort of sit in the same sort of place. He could have stayed at Rangers if he just wanted to you know, go for another trophy or anything like that, but he wanted a big challenge in the Premier League, not just to come to a Premier League club, but someone who's looking to take real steps and force him to be better and to learn very, very quickly. So he'll embrace that. And like you said, I don't think he's under any um, you know, false pretenses or anything that they will just move on if he's not doing the job next year. But again, mm. I, I think that there's enough early, not necessarily quite so much of late, but early indications that there are ways he will improve the team again this summer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they had that that difficult start under him where they played Liverpool, uh, Chelsea and City as part of the sort of six, seven game spell that you'd normally describe as that new manager bounce. So unfortunately, they played quite well in, in two of those games and ended up with three defeats. Um, since then, it has been a little bit sketchy at times, but he is dealing with the fact that Tyron Mings is, is starting centre-back and, you know, Ashley Young is his backup left-back and things like that, neither of which are necessarily his fault. Um, looking at Liverpool then going into this game, Carl, we're expecting that everybody will be fit. Bobby's back in training. There's no new reports of injury to anybody. I feel like we missed Bobby massively in the last two games. The first half against Villarreal, we were massively missing him as the nine, someone that could not only hold the ball up, but drop into midfield and give us an extra man. And against Spurs, when Jota came on, I thought Bobby coming on there would have made a much bigger uh, difference to the team. Do you think there's any chance Bobby starts this one or what are you expecting from Liverpool in terms of a front three in this game? Wild changes could be in the offing for this one. So Firmino is fully fit and we've seen him in training, um, full training this time. Yes, I think he might start. I don't expect him to get much more than 55, maybe an hour, something like that. But yeah, it'll be quite important for the last few games and some big games that we've got coming up, obviously, two in particular. Uh, to have him at least available as an option. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts. I think he starts. I think Jota starts because I think Klopp will want to try and get him back in rhythm. But who's the third forward? Because 
Mo looked very tired against Spurs. Is it is it Diaz? Could Diaz play on the right with Jota on the left, or will Diaz stay on the left with Jota on the right? What what are you thinking here? Diaz right as a pitch widener, let's say, and um, Bobby through the middle with Jota left. Right then in midfield. I don't think Thiago starts this one because I think they hold him out for the FA Cup final. I wouldn't be surprised if Fabinho didn't start either. Could we get the same midfield that played Newcastle? I don't really want to see James Milner, but I think it might be the one that makes sense. He was better in that game than he had been previously, to be fair. Mm. But I, I actually have Jones starting and Cater either side of Henderson this time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably what I would go with as well. Jones and Keita as the eights, Brian as the as the six, and move forward with that. Uh, in defence, I think Costas might start this one, and I think Joel Matip comes back in. So we go Trent, Matip, Virgil, and Costas with Ali in goal. I think that's a strong Liverpool team. I think it's a team more than good enough to beat this Aston Villa team. Um, we'll see how much Gerard really wants the Liverpool job based on how much of a fight his team puts up. If he really wants it, his team rolls over. Them's the rules, Stevie. Forget that. If he wants the job, he can start Ollie Watkins in goal or nothing. Yeah, that, I, I, that, this is the type of shout I like. And you're playing Tyron Mings as your number 10. Um, and Ashley, Ashley Young is, is, you know, both fullbacks, Ashley Young, just side to side, dealing with it all. He'd be out of breath after 25 minutes. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're, I think, I think we might've, we might've gotten close to what Klopp will go with this one. Uh, I am expecting a win. Uh, I'm going to go with my prediction. I'm going to suggest a Liverpool win three goals to one. What say you? Feels like a lot away from home, given our last few showings on the road, I suppose you can say. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. I think it might be a little bit difficult just to get ourselves into top gear, to be honest. Um, Hopefully I'm completely wrong there, but I can see us needing a bit of a, not a dramatic late win or anything like that, but really having to, to grind through to get the points at least. But I think yeah, if we do that, it'll be very, very big for the, the finals and stuff to come as well. It's very, very possible. It genuinely is very, very possible. That's exactly how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, if we could get kind of a momentum building win, you know, if I say a late, a late winner that gives everybody a high, that definitely can propel us towards the end of the season. Uh, one thing we can't afford to do is pick up any injuries. So the most important thing here is just to get through this game without anybody injured. Frankly, if we lose or draw and drop points, our focus needs to be on those two cup finals anyway. They're the most important games. They're the thing. They're the things we control. We control whether we win the FA Cup or not. We control whether we win the Champions League or not. We don't control the Premier League. City do. And we're dependent on them to drop points anyway. So if you're asking me what I'd rather have, I'd rather have the two cups than the league. So we'll 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 go with that. Uh, anything you want to plug before we go? This piece, I suppose, it might not be Liverpool um, centric, but I think it's important from a Liverpool perspective as well that we have that extra day before the final. 
uh, mm. compared to Chelsea's midweek game. And also, I wouldn't be surprised that maybe, regardless of scoreline, at least one or two of our changes, our subs during the match, might be with that in mind. So, you know, a Gomez for Van Dijk, even if it's 1-1, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good shout. That is a good shout. Uh, you know, may- maybe an Origi for, for Diaz type of change as well, because Diaz, is, I think, will will definitely start the final. Uh, right, we will leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening, folks. We will be back. Uh, well, Carl will be back before the weekend to preview the FA Cup if he wants to. Um, he'll have to do Southampton by himself. Uh, I'm on holiday as of Wednesday, so uh, I'll be gone for... I'm not on Raw. I'm not on for the Cup final. I'm not on Southampton. I'll be back for... Wolves, I suppose. So uh, I'll talk to you all then. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.